Did you know that the human brain expresses only two fundamental emotions? Love and fear. From these two, all other emotions are experienced. As Christians, we're called to live in God's love. But how do we live in love or fear? Humans can have many types of fear. There's the fear of the unknown, pain, death, and fear of choices, just to name a few. When we live in fear, we react to instead of act against our fear. But when we love, we have excitement, generosity, trust, and courage. Love strengthens and empowers, whereas fear weakens and disables. Perfect love, like a light, casts out all fear. For it says, "Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." Many times, our fears can be irrational. It's like believing in the boogeyman. The devil causes us to become fearful, but God is way bigger. When we give up our fears to God, we can live a full life in love that He has prepared for us. So, which will you choose, fear or love? Ever been afraid of anything? Ever had an irrational fear? Ever been insecure? Everybody, anybody ever felt unworthy, insecure, afraid, guilty? Yeah, so fear just covers all this ground. And yet in the Bible, we, we hear fear discussed two different ways. We hear the phrase fear of God, that we should have this healthy fear of God. But then every time the angels show up, the angels show up and, and what they always say is fear not. So which is it supposed to be? Are we supposed to fear God or are we supposed to fear not? Well, we've got to go to the source. We've got to go to the Bible. And the answer is yes. We're supposed to do both. We're supposed to fear not because we trust God, but we're supposed to have a fear of God that is born in an understanding of who God is and, and God's awesome power and his love for us. So there is a right answer in both. Proverbs says in the beginning of the very first chapter, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we are to fear and love God in a way that recognizes God's power and place and also recognizes that we're sinners before an all-powerful but all-loving God. And so a healthy fear of God comes from a knowledge of God and a respect for who God really is. And then when we know God, when we really know God, we realize that we can trust God. But we got a problem sometimes trusting God, don't we? For some of us, trusting God and not living in fear means that we need to deal with things of our past before we can grow into our future. You might know that God is trustworthy, but maybe the question for you really is, do you trust God? And maybe you don't trust God because of relationships or struggles in the past or because of loss. So you might believe that God is trustworthy, but you struggle trusting God. Why spend five weeks talking about fear, living in God's strength, not our own power? Because wherever you are on this spectrum, we all deal with it. 
We all deal with inadequacy or uncertainty or, or whatever it is inside of us from our past that causes us to question ourselves and then we question God. But in reality, trusting God probably has nothing to do with God. It might be that it is much more born in our past, that we regret the way that we treated someone, or maybe you went through a season in your life and you regret the way you treated everybody. Maybe you said things you wish you wouldn't have, or you didn't say things that you wish you would have said. Maybe out of anger or spite or jealousy or offense, you really and truly hurt somebody. Maybe you hurt a bunch of people. It might be that You knew that it was time to say something to someone to encourage them or to talk about your faith and you ran out of time. And you feel bad about it. You feel guilty about it. Maybe it's feelings of of guilt over past sin that you're dealing with. Whatever it is, if if we're going to live fully as the people God's created us to be, then we need to believe that God is for us in Jesus and trust all of what God says to us in his word about us. We can't pick and choose the parts that feel good or that we can handle. It's an all or nothing proposition. If we're going to spend time talking about fear, then we've got to get to the root of fear. And it seems to me like Moses is the guy to start talking about that. So we're going to spend five weeks looking at our very real fears. But at the same time, we're going to look at God's very real power. So we're going to be going through the book of Exodus mostly today. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to start out. It's the second book of the Bible. Uh, we're going to jump through a bunch of it. It might be easier to take notes and then read the stuff in between later. But we meet this guy in the second book of the Bible named Moses. Moses is a, a, a biblical character, real-life guy that we first see him in Egypt, but he's just a child. Joseph has just been on the scene in Egypt, and he's passed away, and a new pharaoh has taken over leadership. There's a new king in Egypt. And it's a very different king from the one when Joseph was there. This new king is suddenly troubled by all of the Israelites, all the Hebrews that are living in in Egypt. And he starts thinking that maybe he needs to worry because if they rise up, he could be in trouble. And there's this warning for all of us in the eighth verse of Exodus 1. And it just it just sneaks in there and it's so easy to pass by without paying attention to. But it's message for us today. Eighth verse, Exodus 1. Now there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. <laughs> it's so simple. It's so easy to skip over. Somehow or another, this new pharaoh took over. And he didn't know the story or the history of, of Joseph. He didn't know this guy that had saved his nation full of people. He was threatened by him, but uh, he didn't. He was threatened by the Israelites, but he didn't even know Joseph. This new king had no clue. Why is that terrifying? Because our memories are fickle. And as people, we easily forget very quickly. We forget what's important. We forget what's real. We forget who helps us and heals us and protects us and saves us. So this king didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the incredible story of Joseph working with the Pharaoh before him and the way that Joseph had created this entire plan because of his relationship with God to save the people. And so what this king does, because he doesn't know, is he builds a government to oppress the Israelites. He goes in a completely different direction because he's afraid. 
And so what's the caution for us? If we fail to remember history and if we fail to remember it accurately, even if we don't like it, we are almost destined and assured to repeat it, both personally and in the nations. So let's just stop and think for a moment. What, what would happen in America? What would happen when your friends and your children and your co-workers suddenly don't know about Jesus? What would happen in America if the agenda that is currently out there already, but in the media and, and, and that's funding this movement to quiet and to, to squash the name of Jesus, what would happen if that movement suddenly is more powerful and more convicted then the people who claim to follow Jesus and who worship and live for him are willing to speak out against it. What would happen? I'll tell you, a new generation will be born. They won't know the Bible. They won't know Jesus. They'll elect a president who doesn't know Jesus, and a nation will rise that does not know who Jesus is. When we don't tell people what matters most, what matters most is forgotten. And you've heard me say this a lot over the years the Bible is one generation away from being forgotten and considered an irrelevant history book. One generation. So because of all this hatred of the people of Israel, this new king, he comes up with a plan. He says, we're going we're to limit this population. We're not going to let them grow anymore. And so every newborn Hebrew boy I want killed. That's his plan. That's the way he's going to deal with his fear of them. It was this Egypt that Moses was born into. It was this Egypt that shaped Moses' identity. It was this Egypt that, that created the history that he grew as a man out of. And so he struggled dealing with his past, and it, it nearly caused him to miss out on the call that God had for his life. Moses was born a child into a Jewish slave family living in Egypt. And the call of the king was that all firstborn children be killed. So Moses' mother... Wraps up her son and he put, she puts him in a, in a little boat and she puts him out to float on the Nile hoping somebody, anybody, would find him and have mercy and pity on him. Well, God is always working behind the scenes and we're going to talk about that for Moses, but for you and I as well. It turns out that it was none other than the daughter of Pharaoh that found Moses, this Hebrew baby. And she took him in and she accepted him as her own and she raised him in Pharaoh's house. So that this Hebrew baby that was supposed to have been killed at birth is raised in the home of Pharaoh almost as a prince of Egypt. Fast forward 40 years, Moses grows up. He's 40 years old. Nobody knows that he's an Israelite. And he's out where the workers are, where the Israelites are slaves and they're being beaten. And he sees one of his people being horribly treated. And he kills the Egyptian man that's beating him. Now Moses is a murderer on top of everything else. He's dealing with growing up in Pharaoh's house, knowing his own mom gave him away. Now he's a murderer. So what does he do? He runs off to the wilderness because he knows what will happen to him. His faith will be death. His fate will be death because he killed an Egyptian. So he ends up in the wilderness and he meets this Midianite priest named Jethro. He marries Jethro's daughter. And we find that what Moses ends up doing is he ends up contenting himself with living in the wilderness and working as a shepherd. And it occurred to me as I was reading this passage, Moses traded one thing for another that had a huge influence on his life. All of those depictions that you see of pharaohs of Egypt, all of them, they're all holding this golden staff. There's like a, a crook on the top of it, right? 
It's the, it's the thing that reminded the people of Egypt that Pharaoh is, has control over you. If he wants to take you out, he'll take you out. Moses grew up, grew up in the house where that thing resided. The king of Egypt had one of those. And now Moses has traded that kingly staff for a shepherd's staff. And I think that that change was a huge influence in Moses' life. But while all of this is going on, God is working. God is in the background, working quietly, both for the Israelites and, and for Moses. The Bible says that God heard the cries of his people. And as he hears these cries and, he, and as he sees these beatings going on, the Bible says that God recalls his covenant promise to them, his chosen people. And so God begins to put in place a plan to release them from slavery in Egypt. So this is important for us because no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what it looks like is going on, as someone who's living for Jesus, you, you might feel like God has forgotten you. He's looked you past. He's not listening to you. God has not forgotten you. God has not overlooked you. God is not ignoring you. God is working, working quietly behind the scenes for you. Philippians 2, 13 says God is working in you. God is working in you on your behalf all the time. Moses seems to have forgotten this. While he's in the wilderness one day, he's taking care of the flock, and he sees this bush off in the distance. And so he goes over to this bush, and what he realizes is that this bush is on fire, or at least fire is coming from the middle of this big plant in the desert, but the plant isn't being burned up. And he can't figure out what's going on, and then a a voice calls out to him as this plant is burning but not being consumed And it's God, and God says that he's going to send Moses to rescue his people. God says, I've heard the cries of my people, Moses, and he's the chosen instrument. Moses is the one that God is going to send to bring the people out of their slavery. And Moses says, not me. No way. The actual phrase in Exodus 3.11 is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses is looking at his life going, I am completely unqualified. So God promises to be with Moses, and he tells him again, this is my plan. And all Moses can think about about is that Moses is a nobody. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh is a very important somebody. And what Moses has lost touch with is God is God. God is everywhere. So God's response to Moses when he says, I don't even know what I'd say. I don't know what I'd say to my people, much less to Pharaoh. I don't know. I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say. God says, tell him I am has sent you. I am has sent me to you is the response God gives to Moses. I am. That phrase for God is repeated as his name, I am, the great I am. I am everything. I am everywhere. I am the creator. I am the redeemer. And God goes on and he gives Moses this message of of hope to the Israelites that God says, tell them I've heard them. Tell them that their cries are not lost. Tell them that I have sent you to save them. Moses is stubborn, and he still isn't willing to be obedient. He still isn't willing to listen to God. So in verse 4, Moses pleads with God, and he says, just please send somebody else. Send anybody else. Send anybody but me. And I have to wonder how often you've had that, that feeling pressed on you where God's calling you, nudging you, encouraging you, calling you to do something. And the response that we have is, God, please send anybody else. Just give that person a $20 bill. It's in your purse. It's in your wallet. You're not even going to miss it. God, send somebody else. You know what? You should talk to your friend in the office because they're struggling and they're hurting. God, send somebody else. 
You know what? You should really call and pray with him. God, send somebody else. And so often we echo this, this phrase from Moses, please send somebody else. And his excuse is he said, well, i got a hard time talking to people. I don't have good speech. I can relate to wanting God to send somebody else. But I also know there's times where God has told me that I'm the one he wants to send. And I'd be willing to bet you understand that as well. And in verse 14, after God and Moses go back and forth for a while, God's patience run out. And I hope God's patience never runs out on you. Because in verse 14 it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. That's not the place that we want to be in. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But Moses is stubborn and his fear is driving him. So, so why? What, what would cause him to be so rebellious? What would cause him to not listen to God to the point that God's anger burns against him? Plain and simple, it was his fear. It was his fear of being inadequate. It was his fear of not being able to speak well. It was fear of being a nobody and, and Pharaoh was a somebody. It was a, a fear of his past mistakes, a fear of the fact that he had killed someone, fear over the way that he talked, fear of the power of, fail, of, of, of Pharaoh, fear of failing. All of those things made him be so stubborn, he wouldn't even listen to God. He was so insecure. Why? Because he had traded that, that crook that Pharaoh carried for an old dead stick that was nothing but a shepherd's staff. The only weapon that he had, the only thing that he really owned in the world was this old dead stick. And I think that that stick reminded him of how far he'd fallen. It didn't, remember, it didn't remind him of the good that he could do to protect his flock. It didn't remind him of the, all the uses that it had in the field and why it had been used by shepherds for generations. The only thing that it reminded him of is how far he had fallen. He remembers that golden staff in Pharaoh's hand. And here he's holding a dead stick in the wilderness. Probably most significantly, Moses had lost his fear for an all-powerful God. So it isn't so much that Pharaoh refused to do the right thing. It was that, excuse me, that Moses refused to do the right thing. Is that in not fearing God, he was doing the wrong thing. He was so focused on himself and his own issues, he couldn't get away from them. And there's this passage in chapter 4, verse 2. God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And God says to Moses, throw it on the ground. What God was asking Moses to do was to throw away the only thing that he really had. It was his identity. It was his weapon. It was the calling card for his profession. It was the only thing that he had left, this staff. And God says, throw it on the ground, this, this sense of security, even though it made him feel awful about who he had been and what he was now. That staff was a sign of how far Moses had fallen. It was, it was the symbol of his fear of what he was not. And yet God says, throw it on the ground. See, God had other plans for that staff and for Moses, just like God has other plans for you and I. It's true that that staff that Moses held was nothing more than an old dead stick. And with Moses, maybe it could, it could strike an animal that was after one of the flock. Maybe it could help him to reach an animal to pull it to safety, but it couldn't do much more. But in God's hands, that staff could do things that Moses couldn't even imagine. And so when God says, throw it on the ground, amazingly enough, Moses listened. And he tossed that staff on the ground, and immediately that staff turned into a serpent. More than likely, that serpent was the one that we see in so many of the depictions of the Pharaoh kings, 
It was more than likely a cobra. And it said Moses' response, as soon as it turned to a serpent, was he jumped back in fear. And God says, pick it up by the tail. And Moses knows, and if you've ever been around snakes, you'd prefer not to pick up a poisonous snake or a deadly snake by the tail. You pick them up behind the neck if you have to. God says, pick it up by the tail. And the moment that Moses obeyed, the moment that he laid his hand on that serpent, it became a staff again. He had his old dead wood stick back. And Moses learned a very important lesson. That God can work a miracle with something as seemingly worthless as an old dead piece of wood. But God wasn't done. He says to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses does. And he pulls it out and the Bible says that it was white with leprosy. means that suddenly Moses was cast off from everyone everywhere. God says, put it back. So he put it back and his hand was restored. God said, if those signs don't convince the people to listen to you, if that isn't enough, go to the Nile and draw water from the Nile, this holy, this, this spiritual river for the Egyptian people. Draw water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And on the dry ground, the water from the Nile will turn to blood. And what Moses is beginning to realize is that God is going to work in very amazing ways on his behalf if only he will listen. So let's pull the story together. Chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, My Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. Going back a little way, Moses' concern was that he wasn't a good speaker. So then he tells God, Even since you started talking to me, my speech hasn't gotten any better. It's almost like he's shifting blame to God. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. At least Aaron will be happy. You don't seem to be happy about anything, Moses. So you shall speak to him and put, uh, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Here's the thing. God says, all right, Moses, I'm going to let Aaron do the talking to the Israelites, but you're going to Pharaoh. So take this staff, take this old dead stick of yours. That's your tool. That's what you're going to bring with you. That's what's going to do the signs. It isn't you, Moses. It's me in you. And I don't know about you, but when I get overcome with fear, that seems to be the first thing I forget. That it isn't me, that it's God in me. It isn't me at work in the world. It's God at work in me. And when we give in to our fears, that's the first thing that is so easy to forget. It's the first lesson that God had to teach Moses. So in God's power, Moses went on to speak to Pharaoh. And ultimately, Pharaoh released the Israelites, and he sent a tremendous amount of wealth with them. So I suppose the thing to ask is then, who is God to you? Who is God in you? If you were Moses, what would you do? How would you have handled all of this? Do you take God as his word and trust him? Or do you need signs and proof that God is trustworthy? So instead of submitting to God, Pharaoh, he has a very different response. The Bible says that Pharaoh decided to fight and fight and fight, and ultimately God hardened his heart 
hardened to the, the plea of the Israelites and, and hardened to what God had sent Moses to speak to him about. And so what did God did is he used Moses and that staff and God let loose 10 plagues on Egypt in order to convince Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finally relented. The Israelites were freed from their slavery. And, and this, this fear-filled, stubborn man named Moses and that old dead piece of wood staff of his went on to perform all of the signs and the miracles that made all of that happen, even though that staff represented all of Moses' fears, his crutch to his past, the failures that that he had been in his life, all of the things that he had never become. That staff is what God used to make freedom happen for his people. So when, when we pass on a godly opportunity, when we say no, The only one that we're really hurting is us. We're we're taking away God's opportunity that he gives us to do something for him. Now, God had patience and God worked with Moses. I can only hope that we don't push God off to the point where God's anger burns against us. See, what Moses learned is that your past is what God will use to reach people for him. And the tools that God has given you, even if they're things that you don't like, about who you are and about the past that you have lived is what God will use to reach others. It isn't about your worthiness. It's about your willingness. It isn't about my worthiness. It's about my willingness. It wasn't about Moses' worthiness. It was about his willingness. And it took a long time for him to say yes. See, your fear is the thing that God will always be bigger than if you let him. But if you take God out of the picture, fear is what will rule your life. So the skills, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given you, the sins that you have committed and have been forgiven of, the things in your past that you wish you wouldn't done that you've given up to God, all of those things God can use like that old dead piece of wood that Moses carried around that God can use for his glory. Uh, maybe it's, it's the things that you hold on to that represent your past and they've become your identity of today. Uh, maybe they rep- represent your failures, your disappointments, your angers, your past mistakes. All of those things are what God can use if you are willing to reach people with the good news of Jesus. So don't let your, feel, your fear steal the opportunity that God's putting in front of you. The phrase that I used with our girls a lot when they were young, and this is a lot coming from a guy that's scared of heights, I understand that. Kids, don't let your fears be greater than the fun. Don't let whatever you're afraid of take away from some experience that you might be able to have. And they've both grown up and they've been able to do that. They've been able to to grab a hold of their fears And to trust in God and to do things that they probably would have never done on their own. But you know what happens is that sometimes the weights that we carry that we put on ourselves become greater than what we're even willing to give over to God. Your your past sin might be a terrible weight on you. But but through confession and forgiveness, God can take the new you and even use that experience to reach other people. The new you that arises out of the forgiveness of your sins is what God can use to reach someone else because what you can do is what maybe nobody else around them can. Maybe you're the one that can say, I understand. I know what you're talking about. I understand. Let's talk about it. Maybe you've allowed yourself to be defined by your past. Maybe your fear is that you you have allowed yourself to be defined by past addictions, 
by divorce, grudges, bitterness, sorrow, anger, grief, some offenses that you won't let go of, lack of forgiveness. Maybe you're worried about what other people would say about you, not what God says about you. And what ends up happening, all those things we allow to define and to limit us. But that's not what God created us for. When we do that, it prevents us from reaching the life that God created us to live. When those things become more important to us than our identity in Jesus, they influence every single part of our life. Our relationships, our jobs, our attitudes, our thoughts. We end up with our identity in our wounds, not in our Savior. Moses, he felt inadequate for all kinds of reasons. Some of them were real and some of them were imagined. And he carried with him this fear of failure that was paralyzing. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you say you don't know enough. You're not a good enough Christian, whatever that is. You don't know your Bible well enough. Your sin is too much. You've made too many mistakes. God's response is like God has said so many times in the Bible, fear not, I will be with you. When we live for him, God says, fear not, he will be with us. The things that you have in your hand, your life, your experiences, your memory, they might feel as old and dead and worthless as that dried up staff that Moses carried. You know, but when we release all that stuff to God and say, God, you do it, do with it what you need to do. With Moses, that dried up stick became a divine living thing with divine power that set God's people free. Imagine if you give all of your junk over to God and say, you just take it. I can't carry it anymore. You do with it and you do with me what you want. And the same can be true of us if we give God access to our fears, but man, we like to hold on to them. We end up living in our strength, not in God's strength. See, Satan, Satan has this great ability to convince us that we can't. But God's response is, I already have. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did for us. Satan's going to tell you all day, every day that you can't. God's response to you is, I already have. And so what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with our fear? What are we going to do with our past? What are we going to do with all of the questions that we have that we're afraid of the answers for? If we're living on our own power, there's not much that we can do. But when we give it over to God, even the worst of our past, God can use for his glory. God took a murderer on the run whose mom gave him up at birth to free his people from slavery. If we're willing to cooperate with God, if we allow God to use all of who we are. So do you want to live in his promises and power for you? Or are you going to live bound by your own fears and insecurities and doubts, trying to do it all on your own. I think what Moses would say, listen to him, trust him. When he says, I will be with you and to fear not, he means it. The junk you carry, the junk I carry, when we allow that to be more important than God's plan for us, really all that it is is prideful arrogance. And that's why God was so angry with Moses Moses was convinced that his problems were greater than God's power. And so it goes back to that opening video. We've got a choice. Are we going to live in fear or are we going to live in love? Are we going to live in fear of our past and and the things that we've done or are we going to live in love realizing what God has done for us? Let's pray. God, thank you for Moses. Thank you for the struggle that he had dealing with this fear and living in your promises. 
It's maybe hard to identify with a guy that was born and lived thousands of years ago. But the stuff in his head and heart, they haven't changed for us at all. Fears of inadequacy, not being good enough, fears of failing, fears of past mistakes, fears of sins. All of those things are what Satan uses to convince us that we can't. And then you, God, with a a much more quiet, much more still voice, you tell us that you already have. You've already sent us Jesus. He's already died for our sins. You've already raised him from the grave that we could have a new life. God, help us to trust in you more than we fear the reasons that we think that we're not good enough. God, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Here's my last thought for you as you leave here. If you're anything like me at all, you need to hear these words. Satan is going to spend all of his time and all of your moments. He will wake you up in the middle of the night telling you can't, telling you that you shouldn't, telling you that you're not. When those things happen, just remind yourself that God would say to you that he already has. All that we need to do is be willing. We don't have to be worthy. God never asked that. God, God asks us to be worthy, be willing. And so this week, whether it's talking to a family member, talking to somebody at work, uh, talking to somebody that you don't even know, what we want to be about around here is loving Jesus, loving people, and teaching people to love Jesus. And the only way that we can do that is if you do that. 